You're listening to a DM podcast. Hi, I'm Nigel Marsh. To celebrate the fifth year anniversary of Five of My Life, we are releasing Five from the Vault, that being five of our most requested conversations. Enjoy this episode with Todd Sampson that launched the show way back in 2018. Hi there, it's Todd Sampson. When Nigel asked me to be the first guest on his Five of My Life, I was flattered. See, Nigel is not only a good friend, but he was also my mentor for many years. At one stage, I worked for him in advertising, and here I am, creating an ad for his show, Oh, the Ark of Life. I know from my documentary work that sharing our stories connects us. It promotes understanding. It's what makes us uniquely human. And Nigel has shared stories with all kinds of interesting people, like Julia Gillard, Australia's first female prime minister, media personality Amanda Keller, and Taryn Brumfit, before she became Australian of the Year. I think that's more of a correlation than causation, although Nigel may claim otherwise. To celebrate its fifth anniversary, Nigel has decided to re-release Five from the Vault, five of the most loved and listened to episodes, starting with where it all began, my episode in Series 1. Congratulations, Nigel. Happy fifth birthday. Here's to five more years. And thanks to everyone for listening. I remember something you said to me, uh, gosh, uh, 16 or so years ago, where you go, the trouble with climbing Everest, Nigel, is you've got to come back down. Mm. And if you are... uh, if, if you achieve certain peaks, it, it doesn't matter. It could be commercial success or it could be climbing the world's highest mountain mm. or else. Uh, I see on your website, beautiful, wonderful, joyous picture of you standing on top of uh, Everest. I've still got the jacket you gave me. <laughs> My kids wear it to water photo. Um, uh, but you've got to come down. Yes. You're not in that moment. You know, that's you on top of the world's highest mountain having climbed it alone. Bloody hell. But then, you you know, Naomi might say, could you take the recycling out, mate? And that is, <laughs> yeah. and we were working together at that around that time, you know, and, and it is that. I mean, Everest is Everest is a symbol of achievement for many people, but for mountaineers, it's it's kind of just an exercise in resilience. It's, yes. not, a, it's not a highly skilled climb. It doesn't require, uh, you know, a huge amount of mountaineering skill. But the thing with all climbs is, when I remember that day when I got to the summit of Everest, it was the 23rd of May, uh, 2001. And I remember I'd, I'd lost so much weight, 16 kilos or 17 kilos, whatever it was. I hadn't eaten in three days. I was completely destroyed. Yeah. And I got up there and I remember I stood there. I was alone for that moment. And I just started crying and I started crying and I was, I was saying to myself, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I remember I had this really weird moment where I thought, who am I thanking? Yeah, because I'm not a religious person. So who am I thanking? Sure. Is it just thankfulness? And then that lasts for about 30 seconds. And then you have to get down. Most people die on the way down. So then it's down. And then I remember I literally got back and I was selling toilet paper in an advertising <laughs> agency. <laughs> and the thing I always find sort of surprising when, when on the very rare occasions I've achieved anything notable is you walk down the street and people aren't throwing their hats in the air going hurrah it's him <laughs> they, they, they no one no one cares no, you, no you one think cares. people think about you but they don't I mean you, you know 
Yeah, but however, I would say that climbing something like Everest, because it means so much to other people, it is, it is a, a, a change point in your life. Uh, because when people know that of you, they will pass judgment because it's like a massive tattoo that you now have on your body. That if you, if you tell someone, like in America, if you tell someone I've climbed Mount Everest, they immediately go, ooh. You know, first of all, if you tell a woman, most of them look at you and go, idiot. But if you tell someone in, if you tell someone in, uh, uh, in, in America, they'll be like, oh, when did you do it? How did you do it? And normally this kind of take you down a notch thing, they'll ask, did you do it with oxygen? As if that's less, you know, yeah, yeah, park yeah. that. But in Australia, in Australia, it's interesting because if, if you someone, if you told someone you climbed Everest, their immediately response to you is dickhead. No, no, why is that? Why is that? Tall poppy. So ah, okay, right, uh, right, people right. don't talk about themselves, and that's good. That's what I love about it. it's egalitarian. Sure. Okay, they don't. You know, they might be interested, but if you at all are boastful over an achievement, no matter how grand that achievement may be in their eyes, yeah, they're just going to take you down to level ground. The book that you lent me, brilliant, either into thin air or something. There was some idiotic American socialite who did it like in a wheelchair or, or got carried up by a PA or something. And it's it sort of, I, 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 I'm sure she's lovely, but I, I hated her for demeaning the real achievement. Mm. Well, <laughs> it was funny because when I was on Everest, it was a brilliant moment. Uh, Eric, the blind climber, did it. He climbed right. it. Right. And he was amazing. Although he slowed the mountain unbelievably Believably, because mm. he had 30 Sherpas, and every time he moved, the mountain shut down. So you kind of climbed around Eric. So I had summoned it before him, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, when I got down, I was on the ra- listening to the radio while they were talking about him getting up, and he had his base camp support, and he was going to the summit, and when he got to the summit, it was one of the most, one of the moments you wish you could you know, wind back, yeah. and the base camp guy says, he said, I've made it, I've done it, and the base camp guy says, how does it look? <laughs> and it was like, you could just, you could just hear all the clicks of all the Radios all around base kept just letting go, and everyone's thinking, "Oh, did he just ask that?" And Eric joked about it yeah, after yeah, he yeah. said it. It was quite funny, but yeah. yeah. Uh, just to clarify, around climbing Everest alone, no one climbs Everest alone. If you climb during the season, then you climb with other people. In fact, I, I cl- at one stage I climbed with Pember Dorje Sherpa, who saved my life on Everest uh, on one of my attempts, the first attempt on that trip. But mate, you said that he saved your life. What what happened? Uh, so I was attempting to go to eight thousand meters. So you have to stage from. 8,000 meters, which is uh, uh, Camp 4 on To Everest. do acclimatize the altitude. Uh, quick. It's no acclimatizing at 8,000. You're dying the right. whole time. Uh, so okay. no, no, in no. and out. There's right. in and out. Up, down. Yeah. But you have to get there, and you have to spend a little bit of time there. Uh, so I was climbing across the Lhotse phase, which is you need to get across to get to, yep. to the Camp 4. And everyone was climbing the opposite way. All the Sherpas were going the other way. And I was like, oh, this, this is potentially not good. And, and lost in translation. So I get on to Camp 4, and it's a full raging storm, blizzard, right. just white out. I'm tr- struggling to get a tent and get a tent up and, and try because I knew I'd have to stay overnight, which is a bad thing at 8,000 meters. Uh, I also knew I'd have to go back down, uh, uh, that I wouldn't be able to go for an attempt because of the storm. So I'm trying to get things out, and I see this red and blue jacket in the white of the storm. And it's a Sherpa and he's stumbling and he's got like 60 kilos on his back carrying Klein's gear. And, uh, he comes up to me and, and we sort of talk bad language and, uh, together and, uh, we just try to set a tent up and we both get inside and we didn't think, we didn't know if we'd make it through the night because a lot, a lot of people can survive two nights at 8,000. And, uh, <laughs> We get inside the tent and he won't put oxygen on because the Sherpas do not want to put oxygen on because if they use it once, then they're dependent on it and their yeah, body yeah. starts to adjust to the oxygen. I was like, there's no possible way we'd make it through the night without oxygen. He would definitely either lose his fingers, toes, or be dead. So I said, oh, I'll put it on. I'll just put on a little. 
I put it on about three. It was meant to be one. I put on him, we get in spoons together because yeah. of the cold. We had one sleeping bag between us. And then I woke up choking because the mask, I would, I'd run out of air and the mask had frozen onto my face. And then I went to undo the tent only to realize that we had been covered. Ah, <laughs> buried overnight. Because, <laughs> right. but luckily we had oxygen on and we were buried in a dome. Right. So it didn't quite completely engulf us or crush down on us. It kind of blew that side and blew up on the other side. So Sherpas don't like being buried. Uh, and they didn't grow up like I did in Canada going into like building mm. igloos and stuff. They didn't do that. So he started freaking out. We radioed down and he, they asked me to leave him. I was like, I'm not going to leave him. And uh, we ended up staying more there. And then he just freaked out and said, we're going. He said, we go. I left everything, all my gear there. And he led me. Up or down? Down. Down, down, right. He led me through the storm. I could barely see him in front of me. I just saw the red. Yeah. And he, I would never have been able to find the route. No chance. Right. Because he knew it, you know. So I followed him and we got down. I climbed all the way down to base camp. I stayed for five days there. And then I climbed all the way back up to the summit. Nice. That was the journey. Was so your, it would not have happened without Pemba Dorje Sherpa. Was your stuff still there? Uh, yeah. The only thing I recovered from that was my recordings. Because right. I recorded the whole trip on tape. Wow. No video, no camera. Just voice recordings. Hello, Five of My Life family. It's producer Mandy here. I hope you enjoyed this excerpt from the very first episode with Todd Sampson. We're giving you a taste of five of our most popular and surprising episodes to celebrate the fifth anniversary of this fabulous podcast with the unstoppable Nigel Marsh. So over the next five days, you can revisit these episodes and maybe even go back and listen to them in full. But as a valued member of our Five of My Life community, we have a small favour to ask. If you enjoy this podcast, tell someone you know who likes to learn, who enjoys thinking, someone who wants to hear about the nuances of life and art and culture and the way that human stories can be deeply affecting and funny and sometimes deeply moving. Word of mouth is honestly the best way to let people know about this podcast and we'd really appreciate it. I dare say the person you recommend it to will as well. Thanks for listening and here's to another five years of Five of My Life.